Hello listeners, welcome to another great podcast session. I'm Satavisa. Artificial intelligence has broad capabilities with variety of adoptions in different organizations. Each application of AI sometimes encounters scenarios where the system is not performing well or as per the requirement. So we call these kinds of scenarios as age cases. Today we are going to talk about how data ops framework can be used to tackle these kinds of age cases in AI. To enlighten us further on this matter, today we have with us Radha Basu, the founder and CEO of iMerit. Hello Radha, welcome to Analytics Insight. Hello Satavisa, very nice to be on Analytics Insight and and I look forward to speaking with you. First, I would like to ask you uh, to please tell us about iMerit and how it is unique in its operations. Sure. So iMerit uh, Technologies is providing AI data solutions for machine learning algorithms and AI applications. What does that mean? It's about taking unstructured data or mediums and annotating them to create essentially highly structured data or models for applying into products in machine learning and AI. So it is about, we started with the model-centric approach, which is really about annotating algorithms for creating the models for the products. As we have evolved and as the AI industry, as you already pointed out, has evolved, and you've done some articles on this, then how do we then take these products which contains the models and as they go into deployment, what does it mean to have the machine learning ops or the data ops part of that whole framework? We work with AI data services that really leverage human intelligence to power the algorithms in machine learning. iMerit itself cooperates with clients and partners to deploy the AI, first to create the models, then to deploy the AI, but really unlocking the value that's hidden deep with large volumes of unstructured data. So that is what in some detail, what it is about providing end-to-end AI data solutions, because that's such a broad term, I thought I would explain it a little bit more detail. I can give several examples and areas of focus, but this should give you the broad, uh, the broad definition of what we do. Thank you for explaining it so well, Radha, and uh, I, I am understanding how great work you guys are doing. And uh, next, I want to ask you uh, that data ops framework seems to be the specialization of your uh, organization. I would like to ask you how your company is leveraging that framework and how uh, it is being used to tackle the age cases. So data ops framework is not just our business because that is what we work on. It is absolutely essential as AI and ML is taken into production and deployment. So let me explain this. What is ML ops? 
ML ops is the is equal to, I'll put it in an equation, ML ops equals ML model ops plus ML data ops. What does that mean? Over the years, what the focus of technology has been to create ML models. And people really believed that if you put a lot of work into training algorithms and models, so a very model-centric view of the world, and those models were deployed, then we would have AI in production and it would be running in self-driving cars and in medical AI and geospatial and precision agriculture and social media, and the models would just work and the AI applications would be working. What we have found over the last two, three years, as AI and ML has really started the first steps into production, that there it the ML model, the model-centric, has moved into or is moving or evolving, I shouldn't even say moving, evolving into data-centric world. What does that mean? So you have the model, you put it out there in the product, and there is a lot of, in the real world, the real world data is hitting it, hitting this model, is utilizing this model. Out of that come a myriad, like a whole profusion of edge cases, which either the model, the training has not encountered before, or it's different, or it's incorrectly behaving. And that is a critical part of the ML data ops. So when we go from the model ops plus the data ops, that's what ML ops is about. And the focus right now in terms of getting ML into or AI into production is the ML ops, and the M, which means machine learning in the operating world in the field. And it is very data centric. So you will hear that data is the center high quality data, precision, continuous feedback loop with expertise, technology, the robots propelled by expert in the loop or expert intelligence, and the fusion of these two in an infinite loop is what ML Ops is about, and its data is at the center of it highest quality data. So when you're an ML ops company, then producing highest quality data is your ultimate target so that the products and services with ML in them and AI in them can work really well. So that is at the core of what we do, Satsima. Amazing. That's very interesting to hear. Um, I would like you to give me some like uh, use cases of uh, or some examples of edge cases that you have faced or that you have worked with and uh, please explain to us how you have handled that. Definitely. So um, I was talking to somebody yesterday that we had a big summit, a very big summit on ML data ops. It was the first ML data ops summit and I heard there 3,300 registrations and I heard there uh, two things. One, 2022 is going to be the year of ML ops, especially of ML data ops, as AI gets into field operations. 
And the second thing is people refer to me as the edge case CEO. And that's kind of funny, but I also took it as a big compliment. Why is that? Why is it good to be an edge case CEO? So think about this. Let me give you a few applications of AI that we're involved in and that's out there. A big one is that a lot of our people work on is autonomous vehicles, autonomous mobility as a whole. So whether it is autonomous technologies in cars, in trucks, in drones, in variety of different autonomous mobility, ground robots, aerial robots, home robots. So let's take an example of a vehicle um, of a reflection of vehicles or pedestrians um, uh, when the autonomous vehicle is going. So you train it to say that if there is a stop sign, this is what you do. This is what the track labeling is. This is how you, when a person, a pedestrian or a uh, uh, what's called a non-human, um, you know, a dog or a cat, it could be a child, is at the crosswalk, then how does the car have to behave? Well, let me give you an edge case. Um, there is a glass uh, front to a big store and the reflection of the people on that glass, the car can't make out the difference between the reflection and the real person. That's an edge case. How does the car react? First of all, how does the vehicle distinguish between them? And how does the vehicle react? Another very simple one that we can figure out, right? Stop signs covered with snow, uh, broken. So you can only see or covered by a tree. You can only see half the stop sign. Now, when we are human, we kind of look around, we look at things, we say, is this really a stop sign or whatever? And you take the time to process it. You have to train the algorithm to be able to do that. And there are many such cases, a shoulderless road. We're all used to, here's the road and there's a shoulder. We actually had a situation where we encountered lots of roads that the, we had to create a workflow, a new workflow that taught the computer how to identify the sides of the roads themselves rather than look for a shoulder because the, the drones didn't have shoulders. The model was taught to always leave a space between itself and the boundaries of the road, which solved this particular edge case. Audio, so differentiating between an emergency vehicle that might be an ambulance, a police car, a different kind of siren because there is a dignitary going, the way you have to react to these are different, especially if it's an emergency vehicle. Clear or cloud in images. I'm talking about a lot about images and video. We had only two uh, kinds of scenarios for cloud. We said it's either a cloud or it is raining and it's cloudy. Well, there is cloud or smoke coming from exhaust. Of a, of a vehicle or from another uh, vehicle. There is smoke due to real smoke because of something smoking. There could be smoke due to um, the, you're not being able to see and being able to just, uh, you know, the clouds descending. There could be smoke due to somebody actually smoking. Variety of different things. And the most unique feature within the scenery 
was whether or not objects were casting shadows. If the shadow, it's clear. If it's not a shadow, it's, it's due to clouds. If, so differentiating between the shadows and in a clear or cloudy day and differentiating between we actually ended up creating workflows that showed eight different kinds of smoke. And we had to learn that during the ML ops, during the edge case analysis, it didn't happen in the original model. I'll give you one more that we see in everyday life, the rungs in electrical poles and different shadows during different times of the day and varying angle. An operator annotating all of the images in the series so looking at it one after the other, so the workflow was changed. So each image did not go to different people, but every workflow had the images in sequence by the same annotator. So you could actually look at shadows during different times of the day. So these are all examples. Um, one I would say is very, um, there are two areas pretty close to my heart which is looking at AI in med, in medical applications, and AI in social media applications. So we did uh, a project and continue to do parts of it where it is looking for interactions between teenagers and through social media, through their, uh, through their posts, through Twitter, through different kinds of social media, and actually being able to, this is a very predictive, very difficult thing to do, is to predict what is the probability that the teenager may be contemplating suicide or something, not very good outcomes. That's, a, that's something that you and I can relate to that's right at the heart. Looking at medical images and radiology, ultrasound, working with surgical robots, and then being able to look at the edge cases around that. So I hope this gives you a really good idea, um, Satavisa, about the, the precision going from a brute force to a smarter, nuanced, impactful, and surgical approach. So using curated data and continuous feedback loop with expertise, which is really important and at the core of why I'm called the Educate CEO and we're called the Educate company. That's great. Like, thank you for explaining it so elaborately. I understand it very clearly. Thank you so much. And um, now I would like to ask you if you can tell me that uh, what are the real big challenges that you have faced while handling these age cases? Like really, uh, you know, uh, difficult situations that you have faced and how you have able to handle that and come out of it. If you can tell us something about that. Sure. One of the things we, we work with large amounts of volumes. As a company, we have, uh, it's more than 500,000, um, you know, more like 700,000, 800,000 uh, different annotations of pieces of data that we have worked with. So it's a lot of data. Even in training the models, 
leave alone in the applications of so one of the things we determine edge case engine that means we need the technology and the knowledge management tied together where we'll find the edge cases in every data set that automated, automated models break down and how to be able to identify them, trigger a collaborative workflow to redefine the requirements and document and share the edge cases so different people working with it can actually gain the knowledge from other people working on it and look at the edge case related analytics and insights and get a repository of edge cases for future projects and future people. So for this, we found ways to do it. So we designed and have produced a product as part of our iMetadata studio called the edge. So I look at it at three things, technology, technique, and talent. You have to pull all these three things together in order to really look at what is needed and that to address the challenges of working, the biggest challenges that we have faced while tackling edge cases. What does that mean? The technology I talked about, the ability to extract, the technology around us, the knowledge base, uh, creating the repository, etc. That's all the technology. The second one are the techniques. The techniques around how do you look at this? How do you look at to change the data in collaborative workflows and being able to take some workflows, join them together, change the policies, knowing how much time was spent on what. So you could have an edge case that might not be in the field, but you find that people working on it, the way it's designed, is there was no clear, clean way to track that somebody spent a whole hour on one workflow, but maybe only 10 minutes on a different one, seeing what are the differences in the workflows. So the technique around it, and we have done so much work with technique. If you ask me, the two areas in which we excel are in that technique and in the talent. This is where the fusion of intelligent, humans, intelligent robots fused with intelligent humans, or what they called humans in the loop, which is no longer in the loop. It's fused together in an infinite loop. The humans, the experts, that is where the talent comes in. The ongoing expertise, capturing the expertise, making it repeatable. Um, no record of gu guidelines sometimes as these use cases or these edge cases evolve, lack of consistency. When think clients think of edge cases, they're thinking about situations that cause their model to underperform. To align with that from our viewpoint, we have to think on a metacognitive level about the decisions we are making and the judgment we're making when we annotate. And whether when this is multiplied across hundreds of people, can the consistency be there? Or is each person going to do this differently so you don't get consistency? Lack of consistency means you, you're continuing with unstructured data. Unstructured data does not become structured, which is one of the key ways in which AI works. So that same decision has to be made reasonably in across 
hundreds and thousands of people and millions of annotations. So being able to make it consistent or the other way, lack of consistency is a challenge. And how do we address that? And we address that by a, a technology and a process or a technique called iMerit1, which takes all of these inconsistent things and creates uh, learning modules out of them and actually works with people to proactively skill them. So I've talked to you about two kinds of technologies, the edge case and the iMerit1, which is the, um, the, uh, the skilling technology, the being able to make things take inconsistency and make it consistent and being able to produce guidelines. These are some of the ways in which the challenges are addressed through those three pieces, technology, technique, and talent. Amazing, amazing. And um, I would like to ask you that while working on these cases um, as a in the beginning, what are the warning signs that one should be aware of? I would start by saying, for me, it is really important to understand a client's needs. That is paramount to the success of their AI ML project. And by that, I mean that when you're doing an application that is around radiology images, or you're looking at cancer cells, as an example, I'm talking about AI med now, um, and you're looking at, for example, um, if you're um, saying, okay, how do I differentiate between uh, stromal versus uh, tumor cells and determining the edge cases of stromal cells versus tumor cells based on very minute and subtle differences in shape and color? Think of that. Or a sentiment price. Somebody is saying this is a sentiment analysis. I think I could have gotten a better price. Maybe hypothetical. What does it say about the actual price, right? Drones doing crop assessment. Uh, which is called smart agriculture, is something a healthy or a diseased crop. Um, so visual searches. So I can even give you very simple examples uh, on e-commerce and stuff. So it is really important for us as a company, as every individual in using judgment, the warning sign is when we are doing things because this is the way we did them before, and it is not based on what is the end goal of the client's application of that AI. And that is what, in, again, it comes back to the edge cases, but there are other things as well on the warning signs. One of the big warning signs, which is around the data ops framework, and maybe that's a separate question you might have, is how do we deploy this in terms of security, scalability, and safety? I'm not sure I'd call it a warning sign, Satavisa, but I would definitely call it a watch that carefully. And this is that is one of the areas that we put a lot of emphasis on. I would say that escalating edge cases and escalating, you know, you can't have a product that has 50 or 60% edge cases or a deployment. That is a sign of a bigger problem 
maybe with us and maybe with the client's models. And that is important to catch early on. So the data, what's called reporting, analytics, and insight, RAI, again, another technology, we call it ground control. That RAI is a very important part of determining, it's like the warning sign of what we should do. Thank you for explaining that. I think it's going to be very helpful for our listeners. I hope uh, so. I hope so. I know that your listeners are a lot of young people working, wanting to work in AI and in ML and who want to look at the analytics and insight. I mean, that is how your whole organization was formed around AI analytics and insight. And I wanted to share with you our AI, which is what we call it ground control, is absolutely the foundation of a lot of the work that iMerit does. And around the innovation is around uh, this product called ground control, uh, pre-processing, post-processing, automation, ML models, and things like that, which I think will be very um, helpful or appealing to your listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I would like to ask you that what what is your opinion of privacy and how do you think your company is dealing with it? My opinion of privacy is it's one of those critical critical um, uh, assets uh, of clients, clients, partners, uh, client partners and trusts I met it with one of their most valuable assets, their data. And so when I talk about the three critical pieces of MLOps, which is, uh, and the framework, and that is around safety, security, security and privacy and scalability. And this is extremely critical. And to me, AI just cannot scale without immense amount of uh, investment, knowledge, and integration for these purposes. So we have developed a lot of best practices across the organization to keep huge data volume safe throughout the labeling, annotation, mapping, validation, and monitoring processes. Uh, First of all, we have uh, a very valued lady, Carol Bothwell, as our chief InfoSec officer, information security officer. And she actually scans information security requirements across many industries and is an expert in InfoSec and is able to bring those practices into iMerit. Our centers are SOC 2, Type 2 certified. Of course, ISO 27001, GDPR, those are all essential. HIPAA, because we work in MedAI. But the SOC 2 Type 2 certification, particularly for InfoSec, we run security scorecards uh, literally every week uh, to make sure. And, you know, we aim to be in the uh, 99, 98, 99, if it falls below that. I mean, we run it ourselves proactively. You don't have to wait for the clients to run it. So the, um, as I said, 27,001, 9,001, 2015 certified CICD infrastructure, which is 
uh, a lot of your readers would know about terraforming the infrastructure and um, the CICD, which is being able to on the fly actually add functionality to your infrastructure. So it is a continuous integration, continuous uh, deployment mode in, in a, in a really literally continuous mode. I've talked about the SOC 2 being we're audited um, and through this rigorous process on, on AICPA guidelines and through this very rigorous process, internal controls for security, availability, confidentiality, privacy, and very important, those are all this, the, the, the guidelines, but processing integrity. Integrity is false. It's not just security and safety. Integrity is, has a lot of judgment around it. And these are very closely studied through documentation reviews and on-site visits. So we're, we're audited every year for this. Great. That's great to hear. Um, and um, I would like to ask you that how iMerit is uh, investing in the employees within the organization to meet the demands of present as well as the future? Ah, my favorite topic. I'm glad you asked me that question. So um, for us, we have, we believe in this two feet firmly planted on the ground. One is a maniacal focus on clients. And I've talked about all the aspects of that. The other foot is an inclusive workforce. 54% um, of our employee base are women. Imagine in a technology company, 54% is gender equal, as equal as you can get. And a lot of young people, average age of the company is 24.1. You wouldn't know that looking at me, but it is a very young, born mobile, born digital, uh, almost born AI kind of company. And we invest in employees in a variety of ways in terms of in, during COVID, a lot of wellness programs, and most importantly, continuous skill development. And this is not just the necessary technical knowledge. It is about, think about this. We work, iMerit engineers and the, um, the workforce, the annotators, quality people, um, the technologists and designers get exposure to cutting edge applications across various industries in AI including autonomous vehicles, healthcare, geospatial. We hire geospatial experts who love working with us because they're looking now uh, at instead of geospatial digitization across how geospatial can be applied to different kinds of risk analysis, flood analysis, uh, drone delivery, et cetera. We work as an example with the top five of the leading autonomous mobility companies and leading Silicon Valley companies. We're a global company with global customers. So one of the things you hear from our employees is how excited they are that they are working continuously and learning something new. So I met a set of young, um, uh, young uh, employees yesterday, and they're working on training surgical robots uh, for being able to do surgery to determine what kinds of instruments that the surgical robot is trained on. There is, a, there is a client we work with where we are between the robot, they have a robot, 
and between the robot and the human. And we're training both the human and the robot in this conversational AI technology um, called EVA that uh, one of the speakers at the summit spoke about. We're investing in, for the engineering side, machine learning driven R&D in areas like active learning. Your AI ML engineers would understand this active learning, synthetic data, data augmentation models, uh, and opportunities to see global companies go through the entire life cycle and MLOps pipeline. And I think this is what makes our employees, we have excellent retention. The attrition is less than 10%. Can you believe a tech company and even IT companies in India have um, 30, 32%? Uh, attrition. We, and recently even more, we're a tech company with less than 10% attrition, even though uh, other companies come after hiring our people because they have such good skill sets. And they learn every day. This iMerit One and the LD, our LD skilling and LD group is over 60 people and with a lot of technology. But very importantly, at the core is the culture of the company. It is an inclusive culture. It is a culture that respects and trusts every individual and makes it possible for them to improve themselves. We have created something called the iMerit Learning Academy that covers topics such as communications, comprehension, culture, and confidence and actually also leadership building for team leads and who have come from different diverse backgrounds. All of this is focused on creating and really growing this very tech-propelled advanced workforce, what we call experts in the loop or the fusion between the intelligent humans with the intelligent robots. So that's how we invest. And we have about over 5,000 people. And we are absolutely invested in our employees. Wow, you guys are doing a really great job on this matter. I'm really glad to hear it. And um, lastly, I would like to ask you that um, what are the future plans for your uh, data ops framework that you are planning from now? Absolutely. The MLOps is in its, as I said earlier, is in its early stages because AI is just going to production. So kind of think about this this way. Data is living, breathing, constantly evolving. Our solutions also need to adapt and change. And there is this fusion of the two loops, right? The AI data loop and the human data loop and fusing them together. Um, one of the things we learned at the summit, voice conversational AI is a very core part. So when we build this framework, we think about the pieces around the technologies, computer vision, image, uh, video technologies, uh, document AI technologies, including natural language processing, and very much conversational AI as well. So at the technology level, we're building out all of this. 
And then there is the infrastructure with the security, the scalability, and the, the, the safety, and those around that kind of infra. And the, the third piece is around the analytics and insight with our products called ground, ground control and cloud cover, and the judgment being built with these millions of edge cases uh, coming in. Uh, I think at one point I said 500,000, I meant 500 million uh, kinds of annotations, 700 million annotations we've done. And then the piece around the edge case intelligence, all of these pieces coming together is what makes the end-to-end ML ops framework and infrastructure really evolve. So I will end by saying that um, ML ops, ML data ops, the infra and the entire set of end-to-end solutions need to address throughput going from batch to streaming and eventually real time, precision, from a brute force to smarter surgical nuanced approaches, continuous feedback loop with the edge case expertise and propelled by experts in the loop. And we should all be thinking about the customer journey and their solutions from the ML, the model ops to the ops side, to taking it to the physical world and the data ops. These two together is what makes up their whole ML ops framework. And that's what we're investing in, in a major way and doing a lot of hiring. So to all of your listeners out there, come to us. If you want to work in an exciting um, AI company, lots of new technologies, lots of new applications, and an absolute continuously evolving learning academy that's there. So excited about it. Thank you so much for explaining it to me. I'm really looking forward to see a lot more new innovations coming up from your side. And it was a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Satavisa, for hearing back from all of the people. You know, they should. We are a very open company. Our VP of Engineering, uh, Sudeep George, is based in Bangalore. Our head of product management, Glenn Ford, is in the U.S., Our head of delivery, Anupam, is in India. We're a global company. Our head of GSM, Global Sales and Marketing and Solution Architect, Jeff Mills, is in the U.S. So reach out to us and, um, you know, uh, reach out to us on LinkedIn. And uh, we really look forward to engaging with all your listeners. Thank you so much for connecting with us.